Open the precious Word of God with me to Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Thank you, men, that just spoke and shared with us some of the thoughts of Romans 1 and 2 that impressed you when we went through those two chapters. Amen. The riches of God's goodness. Paul and the Holy Spirit sure knew how to get all of us as we're starting to gloat over Sodomites in Romans chapter 1. And then our brother reminding us that we cannot take confidence in anything that he has given us, which we are so prone to do. We have followed our brother Paul from the 18th verse of chapter 1, where he begins with the words, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And it was Paul making that revelation as he describes it to us by repeated language that I mentioned in the sermon this morning. And he brings his argument all the way through the 20th verse of chapter 3, condemning Gentiles first and then the Jews. The Jews took a little more extra work in condemning them and showing them that their Jewishness was not going to deliver them. And Paul took them apart, argument by argument, from chapter 2, verse 1, through the 20th verse. And so we come to verse 19 that says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And there we are with the Gentiles around us and the Jews around us. Our mouths are stopped. There is nothing we can say in our defense. There is nothing nothing we can say to excuse ourselves. There is nothing we can appeal to for an alleviation of the judgment that is coming from God, we are condemned, guilty, helpless, hopeless. But, we have something else to say. But, that's not where the Bible ends. But, when you're presenting the gospel of salvation, and you start with condemnation, there is more to it. And so we have a but, that opens up the next argument of the Apostle Paul, that is going to run through the end of the fifth chapter. From now, verse 3 and 21, to 5 and 21, we are going to have salvation expressed, defined, and exalted. And then we're going to be told in chapter 6, how we that are saved ought to be living. And then we'll have some other divisions before we get to the end of the epistle. But from now until 521, we will be dealing with salvation. I want to read to you. Just for the sake of giving it a context, verses 21 through 31 of Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, 
but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And these are the verses that will occupy us for a couple of Sundays. But I want to take one verse, and that's verse 21, the transitional verse, from a very definite presentation of the argument that all men are condemned and guilty before God that ran from 118 to 320 to the new argument of presenting and explaining salvation by the grace of God laid hold of by our faith that runs from this verse, 321, to the end of chapter 5. But now the righteousness of God is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Everything Paul had shown so far came short of the righteousness of God. No one could measure up to the righteousness of God. But now there is righteousness revealed and declared and shown, which is to make it manifest. And so we open up the transition with this verse, and it opens up with a transitional word, but. Let me remind you again that you it's an interesting study. I told Brother Gerald at break time, that there's only 3,751 of them in the Bible, you might want to do a study of the word but to find the precious ones where God is dealing with the condemnation of the wicked, but He has something very different for the righteous. I'll share a couple of them with you. Ah, glorious disjunction. Disjunctive. A disjunctive is a conjunction, which is a connecting word, between two parts of speech in, a, in the English language, it's not a coordinating conjunction. A coordinating conjunction is like and or for that ties two clauses or two sentences together. A but pulls them apart and says, this one that I'm about to present to you is different than what I have been saying. And we love the holy buts of the Bible. Without that but, our mouths are closed forever because we are guilty before God and condemned. With the but, our mouths are open wide in praise and thanksgiving and declaration of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the evidence of eternal life and by which we lay hold of that eternal life for the assurance of our own hearts. But, starts out verse 21, but, though the law cannot justify, though every mouth is stopped, though all the world is guilty, There is something totally different, and now I get to explain it. I have put you Jews where you belong, right beside the Gentiles, condemned and guilty. But, there is salvation. A holy and glorious disjunctive. Paul turned right here at this point. This is a glorious point to Paul. Paul had grown up all his life resting in the law and making his boast of God, just like these Jews. Paul loved this but. Paul couldn't wait to get to this but. How do I know that he couldn't wait to get to this but? Because of 16 and 17 of the first chapter. For I am not ashamed. He couldn't wait to get to it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now hold on. 
For therein, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Then he had to go from 118 to 320 to take care of those Jewish legalists that were an enemy of the churches of Jesus Christ. But he couldn't wait to get there. Because 117 tells us that in the gospel, it's a revelation for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. How can a man ever stand before God in righteousness acceptable to God that will be approved of by him and satisfy the legal claims of his righteous court? How can a man ever stand before God like that? Paul knew it already in 1.16 and 17. He hints at it. Now he gets to explanify it. But now the righteousness of God is manifested. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Look at how he puts it in 16, chapter 16. He starts the book off. He ends the book off. Romans 16. Remember, Romans is the gospel of God. 1-1, one, one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God. What is gospel? Good news. We've been waiting to get to the good news. It's been bad news from 118 to 320. Horrible news. Hopeless news. We've been waiting for the good news. The good, we're here at the good news. But, introduces it. But look at how look, Paul ends this way. Verse 25 of chapter 16. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, according to the good news that I've given you in this book, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now, what are those two words? But now, what are those two words? In 1626, but now, something had been kept secret from the foundation of the world while poor men went to Sunday school, oh, forgive my metaphor, went to church and grew old on the law of God. It had been kept secret, but now is made manifest. Is that word in 321 as well? Paul couldn't, Paul loved this thought. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. God has given us faith, and He wants us to obey, because He has given us the revelation of how He makes us, in the righteousness of God, able to stand before a holy God in the day of judgment. Back to Romans 3.21. But now are the first two words of 3.21, but now are the first two words of 16.26. And they are words that we want to rejoice in. Do you like the buts in the Bible? Let me give you a couple. Look at I've got a little string of them here, but look at Galatians 1.15. We don't have time for any string of buts. Galatians 1. I remember hearing this one for the first time. I remember hearing the first time that some of the buts in the Bible introduced some of the most precious doctrines to our hearts and our minds. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul's describing his previous religion as a follower of Moses along with the rest of the blinded Jews. And he says in Galatians 1.14, I profited in the Jews... Well, let me get 13. You have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure, 
I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. If there was ever a Jewish legalist, it was Saul of Tarsus. Isn't that wonderful that God took the greatest Jewish legalist to write Romans? Who can do that? Who? It's 169 in your hymnals. Who? Who flung the stars out into space? Who took Saul of Tarsus and made him the Apostle Paul? Who? It is the Lord and He alone. Man has no glory of his own. That's who. But look at the Apostle Paul. Ye have heard of what kind of a man I was in verses 13 and 14. Verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He went to work. But notice the but that changed Saul of Tarsus' life. How about another one? Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I recently shared with you, and this person may hear this tape, and that's okay, I hope you're not offended that I refer to you anonymously. Oh, but I am admitting that I shared your email. It was, it was a general email with the rest of this congregation so that we could rejoice with you of a woman saved at a Catholicism that I sent you a couple of weeks ago. Remember that? We know what Second Thessalonians 2 is about. You know, when it describes in verses 9 through 12, him that is whose coming is after the working of Satan, we understand that to be the popes of the Roman Catholic Church. Verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Verse 11, that God shall send them strong delusion to believe a lie. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That is a horrible indictment in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, about this man of sin that would rise before Jesus Christ could come back. The second time, if we follow the timing of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But look at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And I say this verse to that person that wrote us. And I've already written to that person that wrote us with this verse. I hope you know I would might include this verse. But we should all rejoice as well. But we are bound. We are bound to give thanks because of the huge difference made from verses 9 through 12 to verse 13. We have been chosen from the beginning to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The Spirit does His work. Then the truth comes. We believe it. And then we're to hold it fast. Just keep right on reading. And it talks about holding it fast. The glorious buts of the Bible. Back to Romans chapter 3. There's more that could be said. Oh, what a glorious disjunctive. The second word, now. But now. Paul used but now in 1626. But now. These things hadn't been revealed before. John, Jesus, and the apostles brought a whole new religion. It hadn't been heard before. Now the revelation of Jesus Christ was being made plainly. It was obscure in the Old Testament. When you read Isaiah 53, you know who it's about because you have the New Testament. The Ethiopian eunuch was a sincere man. Had to be. Very sincere. 
But when he read Isaiah 53, he didn't know if the prophet Isaiah was speaking about himself or some other man. And Philip got to tell him about Jesus in the chariot in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 8. Excuse me, Acts chapter 8. You know that. The Old Testament is obscure. The the Lord God of heaven in chapter 3 and verse 15 of Genesis said to the devil that I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's the gospel. But it was obscure. It was hid. It was kept secret, as Paul would call it in 1625 of this epistle. But now, brethren, you live in the day. You live in a period of time called today. I wanted you to read Psalm 95, but I can't give you too much to read in preparation, or we'd read the whole Bible. But Psalm Psalm 95 gets to verse 7, and it's in the middle of praising the Lord, and it's, it opens, it takes up these words. Psalm 95, verse 7. For He is our God. This is, this is continuing the praise of God. Listen to these words. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. This is 1 through 6 of Psalm 95. He gets to verse 7. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand today if He will hear His voice. Now, for two thousand years, for a thousand years, excuse me, after David penned those words, for a thousand years, anyone that read Psalm 95 and they saw today, oh, the Lord's really serious about me today, taking heed to His word. But the word today didn't mean that 24-hour period that some Jew read Psalm 95 and verse 7. It was a prophetic word used to describe the gospel era of the New Testament Because for two chapters, Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, the Apostle Paul will elaborate on that word today. Today, if ye will hear his voice. Five times, Paul repeats it in Hebrews 3 and 4. Today, if ye will hear his voice. He was appealing to those Hebrews not to go back to Moses' religion because they had come to a new religion. That is the worship of God through the Lord Jesus Christ rather than the worship of God through animal sacrifices and the rest of Moses' ceremonial law. It's called today. So when you go to Psalm 95 and you go to Hebrews 3 or Hebrews 4 and you read the word today, remember that it's describing more than one day. It's describing a period of time called the the gospel era. But what are we supposed to do during that period of time called today? But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Well, how can you have more days in today? How can you have more than one day in today? Because we're supposed to exhort one another daily while it is called today. We have the blessed privilege of the New Testament. Praise the Lord God of heaven. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But now, now, it hadn't been done before. Do you know what Jesus said? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, there have been many righteous men, many prophets, that have desired to hear and see the things that your ears hear and your eyes see, but have not. Blessed are your ears and your eyes for what they hear and see. Blessed are yours, because we are in the New Testament. The prophets themselves, when they wrote the Old Testament, did not know what or what manner of time 
they were writing about, which means they didn't know what or when. As they wrote about the glory that was going to come to, guess who? You. Isaiah wrote about God's blessings and favor on you. But he didn't know what or when it was all going to happen. And it happened in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's First Peter 1, 10 through 12, as plain as day. They did not know what we know. It was obscure. It was kept secret. Paul got to reveal it. Paul got to start out with but in Romans 3.21. You should learn the verse. But now. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 6.1. We then, as workers together with him, this is Paul and his ministerial companions, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, and he quotes from the Old Testament, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not one day, not one 24-hour period of time here, but the period of time of the Gospel era, the New Testament era. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament, that the progressive revelation of God and His dealings with His people had reached a new point For 40 years, the two covenants ran side by side. Old Testament beside New Testament. And then, you know, how how was the new covenant instituted? John the Baptist. The Bible says the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of heaven is preached. And every man presseth into it. So it starts us at John. And then Paul would write in Hebrews chapter 8, Now that which waxeth decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And it vanished away when God wiped the temple from the face of this earth and all that pertained to temple worship of God. But for 40 years they ran side by side so Paul could preach the gospel. He didn't circumcise Titus. He did circumcise Timothy. He took an oath and a vow upon him when he came into Jerusalem to make the Jews a little bit happy there so they would hear his gospel preaching a little bit more to the Jews he became as a Jew, to those that were under the law as under the law, both covenants running side by side, but God took care of the other one. But this is talking about a day and time of salvation. It's the New Testament era, and you were born in it. And that's what the word now means, and much more could be said, and many more prophecies could be read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, 63, fulfilled in Luke 4, Luke 1, Luke 2, as Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary pronounce the new change in Anna. And she spoke of redemption to them that waited for redemption in Israel. There were people that understood the times. John the Baptist preached, repent. The time is fulfilled. A new time was here. The acceptable year of the Lord is what it's called. The accept- See, there it's a year. Or it's today. Or it's the day. Or it's the year. As I started out with, the acceptable year of the Lord, God sending salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Much more could be said on that. What a fantastic blessing we have. Many men desired to see these things and did not see them. But now, the righteousness of God. When we talk about the righteousness of God in this context, we are not speaking of God's inherent righteousness of His character, but rather the righteousness we need in order to please God. Righteousness acceptable to God is what is intended by the words, the righteousness of God. How do we get that righteousness? How do we get it? We need it. Paul said it's revealed by the gospel, but it's not provided by the law. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Paul said, I get to preach the gospel and make clear 
the righteousness of God and how men get it. And it does not involve the law of God. It does not in law, it does not involve Jewish legalism at all. When we use the word legalist, we mean someone, usually a Jew, today there aren't very many left, so it's Gentiles pretending that they're Jews. It's Jews that are using the law added to Christ in order to get saved. That's what, it's not a word that's in the Bible. Legalist is not in the Bible that way. But the word law is in the Bible about 500 times that way. But when we use Jewish legalists, we mean someone who's adding some part of the Jewish law to Jesus Christ's finished work in order to be saved. When others outside our church who know very little about the Bible and what the word law means, they will call us legalists because we don't like our young people living together and fornicating before they get married. They'll say, you're legalist. Oh yeah, that's their common word to try to slur us when they have no clue what the word means. A legalist is someone who uses the law of God to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. The law of Moses. Anyway, they don't know what they're talking about. They just love to slur us and accuse us just because we won't allow fornication as they do. The righteousness of God. God has perfectly clothed us in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and it came without keeping the law. It's the moral law that's under consideration here because that is the law that has been described in Romans chapter 2 because it's a law that the Gentiles had. It's a law that the Jews rested in. It's a law that could be broken. And it wasn't talking about merely the ceremonial law, but the moral law because when it's defined in Romans chapter 2, stealing is mentioned. Adultery is mentioned. And so forth. So we're talking about the moral law of God. But it's not based on us keeping the moral law of God by which we get righteous in the sight of God. There's another way. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. It's manifested in the preaching of the gospel. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul writing to Timothy tells him not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to be afraid, but to be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And he comes to verse 9, Who hath saved us? This is what makes the gospel something exciting to carry about and to preach. Because why would, why could you, how could you be ashamed of something this good? Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now. Note, we are are reading about the great threshold in time of the transition from the Old Testament to the New. That's why we're running into so many buts and nows. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Paul didn't care if he was in manacles and handcuffs. Paul didn't care if he was in prison. Paul didn't care if he was treated like the scum of the earth. Because the message that man had in him by revelation of Jesus Christ was that God had an eternal purpose and grace to save His people before the world began But it was shown to the world in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who abolished death by rising from the dead and showing that there was resident power in the Son of God to defeat death and brought life and immortality. Do you like those two words? Life and immortality to light through the gospel. To light means to make the manifest. What was in darkness, what was hid, what was in the hold of the ship is made manifest by the ship's manifest, which was made manifest by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's secret purpose to save His elect from before the world began when He wrote their names in the book of life became evident through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to Romans chapter 3. And it is without the law, not by works, but according to His eternal purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Without the law. The law was hopeless for justification. So this is righteousness without the law. The law was impossible for justification. So this righteousness is without the law. It's righteousness that's going to be described in the verses to come that is purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ and His redemption and God's confidence in Him as a mediator for all of our sins. How do we lay hold of it? By believing. Because constantly the the comparison is going to be the works of the law versus the hearing of faith and faith itself Because this righteousness of God is unto all and upon all them that believe. Believing is that act in our life that shows us to have the righteousness of God upon us where God will declare that we are righteous by that act that is a righteous act. We do not not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as sinners dead in trespasses and sins, but as born again elect justified men already, but it is the first step, the first act that shows us to be the children of God. And we're to add to that faith, virtue, and the virtue, knowledge, and so forth, as Peter would teach us in Second Peter chapter 1. Much more on faith, much more coming on faith. Right now we just want Romans 3.21. There, but now the righteousness of God without the law. All the confidence that you had in the law, which we showed in verse in chapters 2 and 3, would not help you a bit. You can just discard all that, because this righteousness is provided outside of that, and only now is it being revealed to the world. You Jews, you have a religion that is 1,500 years old, but your religion that is 1,500 years old did not know the message that I am now declaring to you. But now... Is the, right, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. To manifest something is to make it plain. The Bible speaks of great light coming upon the earth. Great light coming upon the Jews and those that sat in darkness and upon the Gentiles themselves. It was the light of the gospel pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. It made it manifest the way of salvation that God had always intended. Because if you've read ahead a few verses, you know that he's going to say it's this method of salvation that will cover the sins that are past through the forbearance of God. God had forbearance for 4,000 years while men sinned, and the elect still went to heaven when they died through the forbearance of God by His faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the covenant that He had with Jesus Christ, who would die for His elect for the remission of sins that had accumulated for 4,000 years. The blood of Jesus Christ can go backward and forward. Don't ever forget that. If you grieve about your past sins, you're forgetting 4,000 years of sinners before you. What were they grieving about? They had more to grieve about than you do. At least you know about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it goes forward. That's in another verse, though. That's in verse 25 and 26. We're in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, made plain. Hadn't been seen before. The Jews trusted in their Jewish religion. The Gentiles trusted in their pagan religion. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. And it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. It wasn't really new. It was just obscurely kept until the time of the apostles. And so it says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You Jews, if you had really paid attention to your law, you'd have seen in your law hints from Genesis 3.15 all the way to Malachi chapters 3 and 4 that a man was coming to prepare the way before the Son of God, the Messiah, a man that was going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14, a man whose name was going to be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6. Yes, a man who's going to come out of the tribe of Judah because the scepter is not going to depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And to him shall be the gathering of the people. Genesis 49.10. How are those departing words for a granddaddy? As Jacob was on his bed, and he quoted the blessings that were coming upon the tribe of Judah and upon Judah himself in the Lord Jesus Christ, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the law that they... If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy 18 is the list of duties that Israel was bound to keep. In Deuteronomy 18, it says, I'm going to raise up to you a man like unto Moses. Him shall ye hear in all things. And whoever doesn't hear this man, he's going to destroy them from among the people. And did the Lord Jesus Christ fulfill that? Yet, do we understand those words in a fuller sense? We've ever heard them before, don't we, brother? Was he a man like unto Moses? A mediator between God and men. Moses was a mediator. Jesus is a mediator. If you don't like the things Jesus said, if you fall on me, you'll be broken. But if I fall on you, I'll grind you to powder. The law that the Jews trusted in told about the Lord Jesus Christ. They just didn't see it. Paul got to explain it. Now do you know what Paul did when he preached? When he would go into a synagogue for the first time and they would say, do you have any, Brethren, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? He'd say, well, as a matter of fact, I have a few verses I'd like to read from the Old Testament. Uh, it was the Old Testament. And so he'd read a few verses like Genesis 3.15, Genesis 49.10, Deuteronomy 18.15-18, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Malachi 3, Malachi 4, Haggai 2. And say God's going to put great, God has put greater glory in this second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, than he ever put in Solomon's because Jesus of Nazareth was in it. And he would open up the scriptures and show them and preach Jesus Christ. That's what it means right here when it says being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law, first five books of the Bible, when we take it very literally, prophets, the last 20 books of the Old Testament, but it includes the Psalms and everything in between because did David ever write anything about the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, he sure did. This is one of the ways the Old Testament is described. Sometimes it's described in the Bible, the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Sometimes it's the law and the prophets. Sometimes it's just the law, meaning 39 books of the Old Testament, because they witnessed of what was coming. But now we are in it. But now Paul was able to preach it as a present tense existing fact. 
that the righteousness of God had been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we have verses like 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him, God hath made Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin himself. He was a perfect substitute for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us righteousness. But now... The righteousness of God is manif- without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Total change. Forget the law, you Jews. There's a new plan of salvation. And if you'll notice in verses 22 and 23, it says, not new in God's sight, new in their sight. It had always been the way God was going to save the elect from the beginning be- before the foundation of the world. But you'll notice in verses 22 and 23, the emphasis is on the word all. All Gentiles, all Jews are condemned before God, which we've learned by three chapters. But the righteousness of God is upon any of those Jews, any of those Gentiles that believe. Because believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is the evidence, the life-changing evidence Because for a man to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his life has been changed. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. It is the way we lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life by him and the righteousness of God upon us without the works of the law, hid obscurely in the Old Testament, but now made manifest by Paul's preaching, but it had always been witnessed by the prophets. And see, we're on this side. We go back and read the Old Testament different than they would have. We can see all those prophecies because in some of your Bibles, the printers and publishers have put nice big stars by those verses for you to know that they're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, we have a glorious disjunctive in Romans 3.21. May Jesus Christ be praised. The condemnation of those first three chapters is upon us. Our mouths are shut and we are guilty before God. However, God has saved us by His grace and sent a Redeemer to redeem us from our sins, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 24. And we're going to get to those verses, but I want you to delight in the glorious, gracious, disjunctive but that opens up the next section of Romans. May Jesus Christ be praised.